Hello, I'm very pleased to be joined on the podcast today by Jenison Associates Head of Global Equity, Mark Barabo. As a leading growth investor, Mark found his portfolios very much in the eye of the storm in last year's valuation reset. But his main global fund has rebounded strongly this year, helped by holdings in many of the so-called Magnificent Seven, including top holding NVIDIA. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Uh, great to have you here, Mark. You, you raised a slightly wry smile when I brought up NVIDIA. Uh, you know, I suppose my first question was, I'm going to ask about AI. Are, are you bored of talking about it yet? Oh, never, never. Um, can't get enough of AI. Okay. Well, it certainly seems that way in the portfolio. I suppose the first thing, it, it seems to me like ChatGPT kind of catalyzed a lot of this interest. Do you, do you think it's strange that it drove such a kind of buzz of enthusiasm? No, it's not strange at all. Mm -hmm. I think we're all surprised at the rapid expansion of use mm. and, uh, and of course, the tremendous demand for computing power that's uh, resulted from that. Okay. It, so it's not surprising that it's happening, mm. but the speed is unprecedented. I mean, ChatGPT is the fastest app to get to 100 million users in history. It only took a few weeks. Okay. Um, you know, it took Netflix a few years. <laughs> so, right. so that's. Um, Do you use it yourself? Uh, yes. Of, uh, of course, when we discovered it last uh, early December last year, mm. um, the first thing I did was uh, go on it and say, you know, hey, chat, what stocks are going to beat the market next year? <laughs> Thankfully, I couldn't answer the question. So I knew my job at least was safe for another year. That's good. I think currently it's constrained by when it can look uh, look up until data wise. So maybe when that changes, it's uh, <laughs> I could be in trouble. Time to revisit. I could be in trouble. Okay. So you mentioned computing power there, and you know one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, if we're looking for kind of winners here, to put it crudely, you know, they could be in the hardware, the software, or the kind of companies that deploy AI. Do you think it's very much going to be the hardware? Yeah. For now, um, mm. the you know for investors, the only way to play this AI generate, the generative AI boom is through the infrastructure layer. Mm. Um, the, the, the really cool applications, the things we can't even envision that are really going to change the way we work or, or play or uh, consume, that's going to happen in the next few years. Mm -hmm. But for now, you just need the compute power. So you need to get it all set up. That's why NVIDIA is doing so well. Uh, that's why NVIDIA's <laughs> revenues are blowing out expectation this year mm. and their earnings, of course, because it's 60% margins. So NVIDIA is, a, is a, as amazing as it's been this year as a stock, is the PE ratio is actually um, a standard deviation below its five-year historical average. That's the, the forward PE? Forward PE. It's uh, cheaper than L'Oreal on next year's earnings. Really? Okay. So what yeah. is it about currently? It's 27 times. It's And so the market is having a hard time adjusting yeah. to this rapid pace of revenue and earnings revisions there because the size of the of the of the orders they're receiving hmm. the demand for the GPUs is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it in our careers as growth investors. So you have Nvidia as a core of the infrastructure layer. You have um, very sophisticated designs going on in semiconductors. Uh, that's related to AI. So there's other areas of interest, um, like Cadence Design Systems and semiconductors. There's also going to be tremendous demand for application-specific chips, so ASICs. Uh, because once you, you, you train these large language models or any sophisticated AI model on 
uh, big clusters of GPUs that NVIDIA makes. Mm. And then you're going to port that algorithm to the edge, edge computing, um, where it's, it's repeated over and over and over. And you might use an application-specific chip like that, such as a, a, the chip that runs a Tesla vehicle. Okay, so you know that optimized for yeah, specific that, purpose. Exactly, and that that automated driving was trained on NVIDIA GPUs, perhaps. Mm. But now you're going to move it to an ASIC um, that that is going to enable the application to occur. So there's going to be big demand boost there, um, and then you have the networking component. Yeah. This is all high throughput, right? The data coming in, data coming out. It has to be secure. Um, and it has to be ultra high speed. So th there are many different applications or, or software and hardware configurations in that infrastructure layer hmm. that are important. So we're investing there as well. Okay. And is this, this, this theme, this trend, something you'd been positioning for or more right place, right time? Because um, <clears throat> I think you, you, you already owned NVIDIA, but you, you added to a bit to it late last year. And then you... You know, I don't think you've been taking profits as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to let your winners run. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, we uh, we had a fortuitous uh, uh, trip last December. Mm. You know, we our, our company, our, our research analysts and our growth PMs all went on a uh, bus tour of Silicon Valley in December. That was planned uh, in advance, of course. But the week before we left, ChatGPT was released. Right. And we were like, wow, this is mind blowing what this could do. And uh, so we had a real time um, chance to ask all these uh, tech CEOs as we were going through the valley, uh, yeah. which at the time was in recession. It was like Death Valley. It was right. not like Silicon the Valley. It was quite bleak. Uh, it was very bleak, lots of layoffs. And we got to ask them real time what they thought of this. And, and they all agreed they had to pivot their businesses. Mm. Wow. Okay. To either use it to improve their own productivity or develop applications to sell to their customers mm. that embedded it. So we were very enthusiastic about it. We got home, we started to, as you said, we, we added to NVIDIA, we started to um, retool our investment portfolio on the technology side to take advantage of what we thought would be the next catalyst for growth in tech and it was generative AI. We had no idea how big it was going to be. Okay, so quickly. Yeah, that's a nice um, contrast between you know this amazing theme and then the the kind of bus tour. You know, yeah, kind of analog. Uh, yeah, no. way of doing <laughs> good old fashioned bus tour. Okay, that's very interesting. I mean, you know, that kind of pre, you know, it sounds like you're you're very much still kind of you know, very bullish and kind of looking for more ideas in this theme. You know, I'd been going to ask, um, you said NVIDIA on a forward PE of about 27 times, um, you know, last 12 month PE, more than 100 times. So maybe, yeah, you know, trailing doesn't that, matter. That, that's, that, that's what your value investor will look at and say, wow, that's, that, that's crazy. But, but you're, that's you're, the you're, rear view mirror. Yeah. Okay. But you're, you're still kind of very much looking for more opportunities or, or to add to this. You still think there are kind of ideas yeah, which are good value. No, you, um, look, we, this has been called the fourth era of computing. Mm. Um, and you know, you've gone through PCs, you've gone through the internet, you've gone through the mobile internet, mm. um, those are all mature now, mm -hmm. including the mobile internet. We use it every day. Um, it's changed our lives, but it's very mature. It's not growing a lot. Mm -hmm. 
And so what, what was going to be this fourth era of computing? And here it is, generative AI, just like that, right on time. Okay. And um, so it's going to take years to develop. Uh, so you first you have the compute power. That's, that's got to be in place. Uh, that's build out number one. Build out number two will be interesting applications that aren't necessarily earth shattering, but they mm. enable productivity. Uh, they, they make current applications that we use better, faster. Um, that's going to be phase two, and that's going to be the next 12 to 24 months. Okay. Because companies are working really quickly on this, on the software. Side. Yeah. And then the third is going to, which will be the groundbreaking ones, where things we you can't even the envision. We can't even envision. Yeah. The, the, and, and they're going to be earth shattering. Okay. Well, I won't ask you about those if we can't. Yeah, we don't them. even know what they are. What about the next 12 to 24 months then? Well, you, you, the area of focus will be in cloud-based computing mm -hmm. software as a service, mm -hmm. because that's where all the um, innovation will really occur from an application perspective. And it's going to be everything from Salesforce, automation, customer service engagement, mm -hmm. call centers, um, you, you know, chat boxes. Um, it will be um, in workflow automation for companies. Uh, it, it's going to be in multiple applications. Okay. And it's all around just boosting productivity. It's not about replacing jobs. It's about enabling you to do more. Uh, because the AI engine is doing it for you mm. under your direction. And are, are there kind of specific companies where you're in the portfolio where you're looking at what they're doing? Well, now? we would look at areas uh, like in Salesforce automation or mm. or um, customer relations management, um, uh, applications like that, like HubSpot, for okay. example, would be a good good idea. In the database side. The application needs to be very dynamic. You're using a lot of unstructured data. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the companies that could benefit on the infrastructure layer, we're just not sure yet, but it's MongoDB. But their base business is accelerating this year. So it looks very good just based on their core fundamentals. But they actually could play an increasingly important role going going well, forward. And what do they do when, on the That's just It's just an unstructured data, cloud-based database service. Um, it's it's uh, a way for companies to organize mm -hmm. all of the inputs coming in uh, that, that could be uh, sales data, but it also could be video, it could be um, text, it can be all sorts of communication-based data. It's all about customer engagement and information that you learn. Mm -hmm. So these are all areas that we think could be very interesting, but we're not really going to invest them invest in them on hype, right? Mm. It actually has to be, the base business has to be improving. Um, and this could be an add-on layer. Okay. And, and so that's how we're approaching it. Sure. A service now is another example of that on workflow automation. Uh, they seem to be out front with very good AI-based applications in development that they're going to roll out to customers. Um, so is Adobe. Mm -hmm. So there's there's lots of different examples of it. Um, but we expect a lot more to come in the next year. Okay. Well, watch this space. Maybe we can step back a bit and, you know, so how did you become a growth investor in the first place? Um, well, I think as you enter the investment realm, mm. you can only be one of, you know, two things, right? <laughs> you can be growth or you can be value. <laughs> 
and you know right away. So, what, so it's what, a kind what, of gut thing. Oh, it's absolutely. You look at a company and you say, wow, this company's doing cool things. It's changing the way mm. we do things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's so much better. And it's growing fast. Uh, and you love the way the products and services work. Mm. And you can't wait to invest in this new emerging leader. And if you're a value investor, you're like, well, what's the intrinsic value? And when can I Where's get there? Where's the margin of safety? Where's the margin of safety? And so you're just one or the other and you know it right away. <laughs> okay. Well, fair, well, fair enough. Um, so, you know, in terms of your, your process, you know, basically, what, what is it? Um, I mean, you mentioned you don't just invest on hype. You know, what do you invest on? <laughs> look, we, we look for companies with that are, we think are emerging as new market leaders. Mm. They have a unique business model. That's what's enabling their success in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. They typically have built, but are certainly strengthening their sustainable competitive advantages because the product set or service they're going after is going to attract a lot of competition because the profits pool is usually quite big. The opportunity is big. Mm -hmm. So they better have a sustainable competitive advantage. Otherwise, you, you really don't want to get involved. And so um, we, we like to think of these companies as coming in maybe with three big catalysts. They don't always have all three. Um, number one, do, are, they in, are they really bringing something to the market that's disruptive? Mm. They're, they're going to um, change the way we consume media like Netflix uh, 10 years ago. Mm. Um, when they decide, okay, we're going to stream video. Rather well, there's, than not enough, there's not enough broadband. That's not going to work. Consumers aren't going to stream video. Okay, it works. Um, well, the media companies are going to fight back because you're gaining too much market share. So Netflix creates their own content. That's not going to work. Um, they don't have any experience creating content. Then it turns out it wasn't too hard to create content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people overseas aren't going to listen. You know, people in Brazil don't want just American yeah, yeah. programs. Okay, they're going to create programming in local language uh, with local talent um, and become a global juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Every step of the way, there were doubters and skeptics because they were always disrupting. They were doing something new. And it was a simple premise. Let's give the people what they want to watch when they want to watch it on any device. Mm-hmm. How simple is that as a disruptive comment? Yeah. And yet they they destroyed the media industry as we know it. Okay. Tesla's doing the same thing in electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen it repeated over and over in many different marketplaces. Yeah. And so we love that aspect. However, it doesn't come around every year. Okay. And is this catalyst number two and three? <laughs> catalyst number two. Just innovative product cycles. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're a big company or, or a leading company and you, you to sustain your leadership, to sustain interest in being a good stock so that you can outperform the market, you have to have revenue and earnings that are going to beat expectation. And good old-fashioned innovation is really what we look for as the lifeblood of most companies mm-hmm. that we're going to invest in. And then the third catalyst is your addressable markets expanding. Maybe you're moving geographically. Maybe you're moving to an adjacent vertical where you have core competency. Um, All of these three can be major catalysts for growth that we look for. What we have found when we look at our historical return profile and the attribution of those returns Mm. is the companies that dominate 
our return over time have all three. They okay. introduced something disruptive to the marketplace. They then layered on new products and services on that platform, and they kept their addressable market expanding. Yeah. Um, and so those you can't predict in advance. You can only predict the first part. Um, but the best, keep innovating and keep adding. Okay. And, you know, so how do you think about, we already discussed NVIDIA a bit. How do you think about valuation? You know, what, very, what, how do you think about putting numbers on this? Yeah, very important. So if you, when you think about the, there's two kinds of companies that dominate our portfolio. Mm. One are high growth, sort of that top quintile of the global market. Um, those are hard to value. The second is that second quintile, sort of stable growth, low double digit growth. Kind of the, compounders. The compounders, you know, LVMHs of the world, Hermes. Mm -hmm. Um those are easier to value because they're they're not dynamic businesses. They're very well managed with a very distinct competitive advantages, very unique models that can scale at a pace that makes sense. So they're easy to value. Um, there's a good time to buy them, good time to trim, good time to add. You know, it's a it, very well defined. So we we love operating with those companies. But when we get to those fast growers, the ones that are making a huge difference in the world, they never come cheaply. Every time you look at them on paper, they're going to look expensive. Mm. So, but what's the market pricing in? Because the market obviously believes it's worth a lot more. You got to do your homework. You have to create a very detailed model of maybe the, just the next three years. Yeah. We don't like to go much further than that because obviously our visibility is limited. We, we just want to gain confidence in how big the opportunity is for the company, what market share they're likely to have, what would be the margin structure when they scale to that level and the cash flow they're generating. And mm -hmm. we can discount that back to the present and decide if it's, it's an opportunity or not. That's how we do it. And we like to think our edge is on identifying that magnitude of growth mm -hmm. and the duration. Because that's where we think most investors get it wrong or shy away because they look at a simple um, valuation structure and can't get their hands around it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I, I probably should have said, uh, I don't think I've clarified already, you know, we're mostly speaking about your your kind of global fund today um, in the USITS version called the Global <laughs> Equity Opportunities Fund. You know, long-term performance of that has been really strong. I'll, I'll pull out some figures. Um, so, you know, the portfolio is second out of 316 funds in Citywide's global growth sector um, with a 268% return in dollar terms in the last 10 years. And also we should add, you know, a pretty big bounce this year, about up about 30% year to date, uh, which, which, which you're smiling at. Yeah. Last year was tougher. You know, you, you kind of suffered in the valuation reset. Um, I suppose, you know, were there lessons from that or is it a case of just accepting sometimes that that's going to happen when macroeconomic conditions change. Yeah, no, we never accept anything. Okay. <laughs> um, you you always have to learn from everything, right? You have yeah. to keep you have to keep you have to keep advancing your uh, process um, to to mitigate some of those episodes. Mm. I mean, last year was a little bit of a perfect storm for valuation correction for two reasons. One was the speed of the uh, central bank tightening. It is the fastest tightening cycle we've had in the modern era. Yeah. So that was a problem. The markets 
are, are going to overshoot on the downside reacting to that mm -hmm. um, because of the speed of that tightening cycle. But that's only part of the problem for growth stocks. The other big important factor last year was growth companies benefited during the pandemic. They were the ones supplying the us. Pandemic winners. The pandemic first. winners. They were supplying us goods and services through the pandemic. They enabled us to get access to goods and services. They enabled companies to have remote workers. And instead of cutting back on CapEx on technology, which you would have expected initially in the downturn, they actually accelerated spending on technology because they needed to. Mm. So there was a lot of demand pull forward. And none of us knew how much because these were all secular growers going into the pandemic. And so we're like, okay, it accelerated for a year or two, but it, they're still, it's still secular growing um, um, in terms of uh, uh, potential outlook. And the market didn't buy into that. The market was very concerned that with the central banks raising rates aggressively to curb growth, we would have maybe a recession, certainly a slowdown. And these particular clusters of companies are richly valued as it is mm. and could be post-pandemic, not beneficiaries, but, but victims right. from demand pull forward. So that uncertainty also weighed on valuation. The lesson we learned from it all going through it was mm. we were selling beginning in December of 2021 through you know March of 2022, the more, more richly valued part of our portfolio where we did have concerns about demand pull forward and sustainability, and we should have sold faster. Right. So that's one of the lessons we learned. Um, aside from that, uh, the post, you know, we do a post analysis, of course, on every year. Mm. Bottom line, walking in the door, January 1, 2022, we were going to be down 30% no matter what happened. Right, just because of the market dynamics. Just because of the market dynamics. It, it, some of it you can control, some of it you can't. The part we can control, we learn from. Mm -hmm. Okay. I um, want to come on to, to something else. Uh, you know, the narrowness of the market rally in the US has attracted a lot of attention this year. And, you know, given the kind of names you hold, you, you've kind of been a beneficiary of it. You know, historically, smaller companies have actually outperformed large cap stocks, but, but not for the last 10 years or so. Um, do you think something structurally changed around that? Yes, something has structurally changed. Okay. What's changed? <laughs> <laughs> Free cash flow generation is the most powerful in the market among the the big caps. Mm. I, I love the new, you know, we used to call them Fang Plus. Now they're the Magnificent Seven, mm. which is a much better name. It, um, that was a skilled rebranding, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so what the one thing the Magnificent Seven have in common is massive free cash flow generation mm. and free cash flow margins that are the the envy of the world. They are the best in the market. That's the reason the stocks are performing the way they are. I'm not saying some of them are, valuation didn't get ahead of themselves this year, but I can say over the last decade, that's what's been driving it. Okay, so it's the ability of such large companies to, to make those, to generate that kind of free cash flow. That's yeah. what's changed. That's what's changed. Maybe with you know they've got a more asset light model compared to the biggest companies in the exactly market. they're asset light and for the first time in my career mm. as the big get bigger they get bigger faster the scalability is something we're not used to and you know it's not just for technology and and these areas the internet etc 
It's other companies as well. Um, you know, one of the other favorite parts of the market that we invest in is luxury because of the high margins, the free cash flow generation, yeah. the competitive advantage is unmatched. <clears throat> Uh, the return on capital is superior to other parts of the market, and they use direct-to-consumer business models, which are the best models in the world if you're a brand now. But the other thing they have is scale. It's very difficult to compete against an LVMH if you're a small brand with, with a hot product because uh, they can simply outspend you on the marketing side. Mm. They can spend on digital marketing technology. Uh, they can get you you're faster to the direct to consumer model because they can help you build out a boutique store base there's so many advantages to scale that it's it's it is the game has changed mm. and it's not that small companies won't innovate and emerge they will um we have a dedicated effort there on the research side we have a product that's dedicated to that our, mm -hmm. our next gen product uh which we're we're very pleased with um, but it, it's a it's a more difficult time right now. I think what will change in the future, near term, is we are you know what ninety percent through this tightening cycle, mm -hmm. if not through it. Once the liquidity starts to improve on the other side, in other words, once rates start to come down, it will be a chance for small mid cap stocks to outperform. Okay. It's greener. It's, you know, it's like greener, bluer sky. The, the clouds are parting, more risk on moment in the markets. I think that's that's when it will happen. Um, but but it is so a that, reason. For you, there's no point trying to anticipate or time that. No. Okay. Um, one other kind of big picture market question. Um, emerging markets, you know, have also, you know, notably underperformed developed markets um, well, for quite a while now. And you also run an emerging markets fund. But really, you, you, heard, you hold hardly any EM stocks in your main global fund. I, mean, I suppose, you know, why, why, why is that? Yeah, we used to hold 15 to 25 percent mm, day in know, and day out. You don't have the that, Chinese tech stocks. And that we don't have the Chinese tech stocks. You know, if you look at emerging markets uh, performance of the index over the last, say, five to 10 mm. years, <laughs> all of the, the, the absolute return, I believe, is attributed to technology and Internet. So if you take out technology and internet from emerging markets, it really hasn't been a growth vehicle for a long time. Mm. Uh, there's reasons for that. Um, the, the power of global companies, especially global technology companies, can come in and trans transform a region pretty quickly. Um, and what we look for in emerging markets is not, we don't consider emerging market countries as growth companies or growth countries. Mm. Uh, that's the old way of looking at EM. Um, the United States grows faster than Brazil and probably always will. Mm -hmm. But Brazil is a rich place to find unique companies that are making a big difference to the future of Brazilian um, uh, consumers. Mm. And it's typically in e-commerce and financial technology because they're providing access to goods and services that, that those consumers have never had. And so you're looking again at technology. This is a recurring theme in, in emerging markets. Now, the reason it's lagging globally is largely because China has damaged the internet sector in China. Mm -hmm. So that's off the table in terms of 
really a significant source of performance. Um, and you're left with sort of semiconductor technology in Taiwan, which is quite dominant, mm -hmm. um, but will be under competitive threat for years as the US, Europe, and Japan, and China mm. build out their own semiconductor manufacturing capacity. So there's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very unstable situation yeah. for emerging markets from that perspective. So we think our approach of just cherry picking specific business models that are making a big difference in their home region will continue to work over time. Mm. We like that approach. It's just it, it requires a, a, a more of a focus on the business model, less of a focus on the economic growth. Okay. Um, a couple of last questions, Mark. I've got to ask you uh, about a kind of another mega trend, electric vehicles. And you've already mentioned Tesla, which is perhaps the kind of, you know, <laughs> the face of pandemic winners, you know, arguably. You, you, you cut your Tesla holding about a year ago. I mean, how are you thinking about it today? Yeah, it's a much smaller weight We, we um, because... A couple of things. One, it, 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 it its valuation expanded a lot over the years. Mm. It became a, a, a big powerhouse of a stock as well as a company. Um, but beginning last September, um, October, it became apparent to us that demand was starting to slow. Right. Uh, there's for a EVs or for Tesla specifically? For EVs. Um, and it was mostly macro related. Mm. So there was price war competition in China uh, because demand was weak there. Then demand started to weaken in, in the developed markets because of the macro. And so uh, Tesla had to cut price to move merchandise. That's you know not good for the pricing structure, not good for the margin structure. There was a reset in the valuation. Mm. And then early this year, as demand stabilized and there were signs that those price cuts were working, we added a little bit weight back. Okay. But we're but we're at a lower position size in the portfolio than we have been historically in the last five years. Mm. And that's just because the market's a little more mature. Uh, there's more competition, although they remain by far the leader. As you know, the Model Y is the best-selling car in the world today passing the Toyota Corolla. So the baton has been officially passed mm -hmm. from combustion engine uh, Japan to EV US innovation. Mm -hmm. So that's a good baton passing for the world in terms of the environment. Um, and, and we really like the path going forward. But we think for Tesla, the, the next phase of growth is not the electrification part, it's gonna be the software. Mm. And That's, autonomous driving. It's autonomous stuff. driving in the software. And it's going to be, they're in the, by far in the lead. And we think it's going to be a horse race uh, between them and the rest of the industry. And the rest of the industry isn't going to be able to do this. So just like after Apple iOS took the world by storm and it, with the iPhone, mm. Google came to the rescue of everyone else with Android, made it free. And the rest of the world adopted Android, and we had a big ecosystem of, of smartphones, okay. right? Okay, so you're looking for an autonomous driving Android. We are, and it's either going to, we think, come from NVIDIA or mm -hmm. Mobileye. Okay. And um, that's what's going to be the technology that other auto companies adopt to take on Tesla. Yeah. 
All right. Last question, Mark. You know, we, we mentioned, uh, you know, 268% return over 10 years, you know, um, unbelievable. Um, you know, repeating that this decade with interest rates being higher or no longer zero it is going to be hard, right? I suppose, you know, how are you feeling in your, your gut as a growth investor today? AI, AI, AI. <laughs> <laughs> to the rescue, right? So we didn't know where the next big catalyst was going to come from. Mm-hmm. And now we know. Okay. It's going to be years to play out. So we're looking forward to that. All right. Well, thanks very much, Mark. That seems a fitting note to end it. So uh, brilliant to see you and thanks for coming in today. Well, thank you very much.